Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, Before we get into our topic, which is going to be a very controversial topic that's caused a lot of disagreement over the last 500 years or so, I wanted to suggest that you go back and listen to our last two episodes where we interviewed Hal Poe. He is an expert in C.S. Lewis, and he is uh, currently finishing his third book in a three-part biography series about C.S. Lewis's life. Um, I learned a lot of stuff in those interviews that I didn't know about C.S. Lewis, and I am a C.S. Lewis junkie. If you look over here, if you're watching over video, that's my C.S. Lewis section right there. Um, and I have a lot of older C.S. Lewis books, too, and early publications. So maybe I'll go through those one day. We could check those out. It'd be cool. But go listen to those interviews because you are going to learn some stories and some really cool stuff about C.S. Lewis that you may not have previously known. Um, now, for today's topic, this is a topic that's caused a lot of disagreement and a lot of confusion for people. But we are going to show that that does not have to be the case. And in fact, when we examine this passage in context, I don't think it is the case at all. So if you, if you turn to James chapter 2, I'm going to pull it up on the screen here, but James chapter 2, we're specifically going to read verse 24, um, and then we'll, we'll zoom out a little bit and look at the rest of the context around it. But James 2.24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, normally, when you see people using this passage to argue against the Protestant doctrine of faith alone or the scriptural doctrine of faith alone, you often only hear that uh, verse. You hear it out of context. You don't hear anything else around it, and you don't hear the purpose of it. So my first question to you is, is James 2.24 the only verse in chapter 2 of James? No, of course it isn't, because it's the 24th verse. There are verses around it that tell us what James is actually trying to to say. Now, if this passage were to be interpreted as we're saved by works and not by faith alone, of course, the issue with that is that we would have the gospel all wrong. We would have to start from scratch. We should be terrified at facing Jesus Christ as believers if this passage is right, because there's no way we can save ourselves by our own works. Um, Jesus himself, while he was on earth, said only God is good. So we would be in big trouble if we're not saved by faith alone, as scripture tells us. Uh, But thankfully, we're going to see that that isn't the case. The case is that we are saved by faith alone, and this passage has a much deeper meaning and a meaning that we can apply directly to our lives after hearing this episode. So hopefully, we'll be able to help you understand this better. And this passage really presents a unique opportunity because this is a passage that you can get Uh, questions from a Roman Catholic, a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness. You can get questions from the atheist uh, or agnostic, and basically anybody looking for uh, a supposed Bible contradiction. So it's very important to be able to understand and explain this passage. It could give you the opportunity to lead somebody out of false teaching and into faith in Jesus Christ. So it's a really cool opportunity. Well, if you've ever dealt with a realtor, 
um, you'll know that realtors tell you there are three things that matter when owning property. And those three things are location, location, and the third one you may have guessed is location. The location of a house can be the difference between a $50,000 house and a $500,000 house. Um, Now, when we look at scripture and we examine a passage, there are three things that matter when it comes to interpreting the Bible. Those three things are context, context, and context. The location of a passage and the surrounding uh, context of a passage makes all of the difference as to what the passage is actually trying to tell us. And we're going to see that here in James chapter 2. Now, let's start by saying the purpose of this passage is not to tell us we are saved by works or that we obtain salvation by works. This passage is clearly telling us when we look at the context that works are the fruit of our faith. Works are the result of our salvation. In fact, many of you may know the fruit of the Spirit. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is the result of our faith. It's something that Christ is producing in us as proof that we have been stamped by the Holy Spirit, that we have become believers, that we have become children of God, and our lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ. So that is what James is talking about here. We're going to see that clearly. So James is talking about works being the result of faith, not the way to obtain salvation. Now, starting all the way back in the beginning of the redemptive history of Israel, which is what James touches on here um, in verses 20 through 24, we see that God's plan for salvation by faith alone starts all the way back with Abram at the very beginning of the story of uh, the redemptive history of Israel. So Abram Abram is quoted here. um, Genesis 15, 6 is quoted when Abram says, or when it says about Abram, then he believed in the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abram is considered righteous simply for doing what? For believing God. Now, believing God is a very simple definition and a a very helpful working definition of the term faith. When we say we've put our faith in Christ, what we mean is that we are believing Christ's promises, uh, that he is who he says he is, that he is sufficient to save us because he died on the cross and rose again on his own authority. So we believe that he is fully sufficient to save us. He needs no help at all. So when we say we put our faith in Christ, what we're really doing is we're believing Christ. Now, the question is, when Abram offers Isaac up, and I'll pull up this passage so we can check it out. Um, This is from James chapter 2, the surrounding the verse 24, starting in verse 20. James says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So James asked, just to pause real quick, Was not Abraham justified by what he did by works when he offered up his son Isaac? And of course, he's referring to Abraham and Isaac um, in Genesis 22. And then he goes on and says, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So he points out that Abraham's faith was perfected by offering up his son Isaac on the altar. And of course, we know that God stopped his son Isaac from being sacrificed. Um, Rather, it was Abraham's faithfulness that we got to see in action here. And that is what James is pointing out to us, that faith, true faith, is faith in action. Faith does something. Faith has a result. Faith has 
um, an element to it that we can look at the life of a Christian believer and see that they have been radically transformed. And anybody who's put their faith in Christ, we all have a story about how we've been radically transformed, and our lives should demonstrate that. It's not just that we're supposed to do good things as Christians. James here is pointing out that you need to examine yourself and you need to be sure that your life has been transformed, that your faith works. As Paul says in Philippians, that we are working out our salvation, not that we're working for it, but that we have our salvation and we're working that salvation outwardly. We're extending it to others. We're loving God and we're loving people, the two greatest commandments, and that's demonstrated clearly in our lives. That is what James is getting at here. Because here's the question. When Abraham offered up his son Isaac, or was willing to offer up his son Isaac in Genesis 22, was that before or after Abraham was considered righteous by faith or believing God? It was after. Abraham was already saved in Genesis 22. Abraham was already somebody who had trusted God's promises and trusted that he had the power to redeem Abram. And so this came after he was already saved. He didn't get saved again in Genesis 22. It's not like his salvation was just hanging in the air for years and years until he went to offer up Isaac. It's that this was a demonstration of his faith. It was his faith in action. Now, he gives a second example. He points to Rahab the prostitute. If we look at uh, verses 25 and 26, we can see that he quotes 25 and 26. Here we go. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James gives a second Old Testament example here. And he gives the example of Rahab, the prostitute, being justified by works when she received um, the messengers from Israel, the spies, and she sent them out by another way, meaning when the soldiers from Jericho came to capture the spies and said, where are they? She was hiding them uh, up on her roof, but instead she told them they left. And of course, the reason she did this is because the soldiers would have captured them and most likely murdered them um, for spying on their nation. So She's considered, uh, this is considered an example of faith in action. We, of course, know from Hebrews 11 that it was by faith that Rahab did this in the, in the famous uh, Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews. It was by faith that, a, that uh, Rahab had performed this action that she had allowed them to leave instead of turning them in and having them killed. So this is a second example Abraham gives us of faith in action, of Rahab exercising her faith, of Rahab demonstrating her allegiance, and her faith to God. And what's really cool is that Rahab the prostitute is actually found in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1. Um, So that's significant for a lot of reasons. The fact that she was a woman, the fact that she was a prostitute, um, and the fact that she was outside of Israel. Now we'll get into all this. I think it'd be really cool to do an episode on that, but that's a really cool fact, just so you know. Now, let's fast forward to the New Testament. We've seen that Abraham gives us two examples from the Old Testament. Both examples show that these people were not working for their salvation. Rather, they were demonstrating their salvation. Now, when we go to the New Testament, this concept of justification by faith alone is even more clear. Uh, it's, It's not a New Testament invention. It's not something that the Apostle Paul came up with and decided to implement later. This is something, as we've just seen, that is shown all the way throughout the Bible from the very beginning of Israel's redemptive history, and really the world's redemptive history. So 
when we jump to the New Testament, there's, there's an abundant list of passages. Um, Galatians 2 and 3 come to mind. Ephesians 2 comes to mind. Titus comes to mind. There's all of these passages that demonstrate faith apart from works. But I wanted to read just one of them, and that is from Romans 3.28. The Apostle Paul says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So we maintain that a person is justified by faith or believing God apart from the works of the law. So he completely separates faith and works in terms of salvation. They're completely set apart from one another. We are saved by faith and by faith alone. And it is passages like these that are spread all throughout the Bible that we get the doctrine of salvation by faith alone, that Christ himself is fully sufficient to save us. He needs no help from any of us. So in the New Testament, we see Paul says we're saved by faith apart from works. Now, James is not contradicting this doctrine as we've seen. He's complementing this doctrine. He's saying that once we receive that faith by, or once we receive that salvation by faith, we now demonstrate that through good works. Um, Paul is describing justification by faith. James is describing justification of faith. So Paul is describing the fact that we're justified, we're made righteous before God, just as our father Abraham was, and that is by putting our faith in him, by trusting and believing him. Now James is saying, once we do that, once we have put our faith in Christ, now we demonstrate that through works. The fruit of the Spirit follows the fruit of the believer, the, the faith of the believer. Now if we were to draw this out, we could say faith plus nothing equals salvation. Okay, so faith plus nothing equals salvation. It's not faith plus doing good things equals salvation. It's not faith plus helping the poor equals salvation. It's not faith plus fill in the blank equals salvation. Those are all things we do after we're saved. Those are things we do because we love God and because we're commanded to do them. But it's faith plus nothing equals salvation. And James is saying, just as we see throughout the, the rest of the New Testament, this is no new surprise we see in James. He's saying that faith plus nothing equals salvation, and then works are the result of that salvation. So faith plus nothing equals salvation plus works. That is what James is saying. He's not saying that we're saved by works, and he's also not saying, I think this is important to note, he's not saying that once we're saved, we upkeep or uphold our salvation by doing good things. That's not what he's saying. In fact, Christ alone upholds our salvation. He needs no help whatsoever. I would suggest reading the book of Colossians. Um, it's a short book. It will not take you long, but you will see clearly that Christ is supreme over everybody and everything. He needs no help upholding our salvation. He's upholding the whole universe. And so if you think about an orange tree, what is an orange tree supposed to grow? It's supposed to grow oranges. So the result in the fruit of an orange tree is that it grows oranges. So if if you were to tell me that you had an orange tree and I examined that tree and it was growing apples or it was growing pears, well, then we would know that it isn't an orange tree. We would know that it isn't what you said it is. Now, does an orange tree become an orange tree by growing oranges? No, it doesn't. In fact, I've grown an orange tree from seed. I think it's probably, I don't know, five or six years old. It still hasn't grown an orange. It takes a long time to do so. Um, but I know it's an orange tree, even though it hasn't grown an orange yet. It's not that the orange comes and then it becomes an orange tree. It's already an orange tree, and the proof of it is once it grows oranges. Well, it's the same way with our faith. It's not that doing good things 
earns us salvation. It's that doing good things is a necessary fruit of our salvation. If you are a Christian believer, then you will fill in the blank. You will serve God. You will love him more. You will have a desire to love people and to see them come to Christ, to see them accept the true gospel. That's just a necessary result of what Christ is doing in us, that he's transforming us, that God is conforming us to the image of his son, that every day, if you have put your faith in Christ, you are becoming more and more like him. And if you haven't put your faith in Christ, you have the opportunity to trust him and to be conformed to the image of his son. This is something that starts immediately. And of course, it looks different for every person. What we're not saying is that once you become a Christian, tomorrow you're going to be perfect. In fact, that's a doctrine that, uh, that all of us here are against, Christian perfectionism. We don't believe that you're going to be perfect on earth. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. You are not going to become a Christian and be perfect. It is not until heaven that we are glorified and we're given a new body and then we're considered perfect. That's not going to happen while you're here on earth. No Christian friend you have is perfect. And if you've gotten that impression, just know that the whole purpose of Christianity is that we've recognized that we're so not perfect that God came to die on the cross to save us, to pay for our sin. So remove that thought from your mind. Now, if we go zoom back into the text and look at James 2, specifically at verse 10, he says that forever, for whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point of it is guilty of breaking the whole thing. So in verse 10, just right before the passage we talked about, he says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point has become guilty of all of it. So anyone who tries to keep the law and has broken just one point of it is guilty of breaking the whole thing. So clearly, James is not telling us that we can be saved by keeping the law. Um, he's telling us that you're guilty of breaking the entire thing. And of course, this calls to mind the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, well, if you've even been unjustly angry at a brother or sister, you've committed murder in your heart. If you've even looked at a man or woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So he takes the law and he elevates it. He says, listen, you're even worse than you think when it comes to trying to keep the law. And in fact, the purpose of the law is not that we're saved by keeping it. The purpose of the law, we're told in scripture, is to show us that we can't keep it. It's to point to a savior. It's to say, even though we can't keep the law, we have a savior who did and who's perfect and who saves us and, and takes the sin from us and takes what we deserve, the punishment we deserve, and instead gives us what he earned by being perfect. Uh, John Bunyan gave an example of this in The Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read that book, I would highly suggest reading it. They have modern English version, versions now, even though it was written in the 1600s. It is a really cool book. But in The Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, I'm paraphrasing here, he, he says to imagine a person sweeping a floor in a home that's never been cleaned. And this person is sweeping the dust over and over and over. And what's happening? The dust is just filling the air. It's just getting messier and messier and messier because that person is not able to clean the floor by just continually sweeping. It's not until somebody comes along with a spray bottle of mist and sprays the dust that it settles and the person is, is now in a clean home. So sweeping that floor is representing the law in this analogy, that the person sweeping the floor over and over and trying to keep the law, and it's just making a bigger mess because you can't be saved by the law. You can't be saved by legalism. Rather, it's not until the gospel comes along that that person is now made clean again, that that home is made new, and that it's clean in a way that that person could not clean it by sweeping the floor. They only found that they can't complete that task 
of cleaning it themselves. Somebody had to come along with that spray bottle of dust. And of course, in the case of the gospel, that spray bottle of, uh, for the dust of Jesus Christ. He is the one who cleanses us. He is the one who does what we're not able to. So James is not saying that we're saved by keeping the law. He's, he's actually saying the opposite. He's saying you've broken the whole thing once you've made one mistake. Rather, uh, he is saying that good works follow our salvation. Now, while we still have a little bit of time, I wanted to just, just zoom out for a moment, like a 30,000-foot view. And I wanted to give you two examples of the life of James, of the character of James that we see even outside of the book of James that we're in right now. Now, when you, when you look at the book of Galatians, um, just a quick, concise version here, Paul is basically doing all he can to contrast faith and works. He's doing all he can to show the, Gala- the church of Galatia, the churches of Galatia, that we are not saved by works. We are saved by faith. They are totally separated. And in this situation, Paul's dealing with people who are referred to as Judaizers. They are teaching that you have to keep the law to be saved. They are teaching that you have to be circumcised to be saved. And so this goes against the doctrine of faith alone. So Paul has to write to the Galatians. And when he does so, he is, he is exercising and demonstrating his authority as an apostle. And as he's demonstrating his authority as an apostle, he references uh, James, the same James we're talking about. In in chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says, In recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, who's Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. So in this book where Paul is confronting false teachers, he's saying, if anybody brings a gospel other than the one that I've given you, other than the one that's come from Christ, let them be accursed. And that word he uses, the Greek word anathema, is a very strong word that essentially means let them be cursed to hell. He uses it twice. He says, let them be accursed if they bring a false gospel. Now, in this book where he's writing against false teachers, where he's separating faith and works to make clear the gospel, do you think that he would have referred to James as a pillar of the church if James was teaching uh, salvation by works? Of course he wouldn't have. Paul would be contradicting himself. He would be contradicting this whole letter. That would be ridiculous. No, he refers to James as a pillar of the church because James is somebody who believes in the true gospel, the gospel of faith alone. So this provides us of a, uh, an example of James's character in the book of Galatians. Now, secondly, let's look really quickly at Acts 15 in 50 AD. They got together and formed what was called the Jerusalem Council, where they had to talk about these new Gentile converts coming to faith in Christ. And they were concerned over whether or not these Gentiles should be circumcised and keep the law. And of course, they decided that no, they didn't have to. That's what the Council of Jerusalem is in in Acts 15. No, they did not have to keep the law. We should not put that burden on them. We're saved by grace alone, says Peter. Well, James is one of the heads of the Council of Jerusalem. He was one of the heads of the Jerusalem church. He was present at this meeting in which they decided we are not saved by works. We are saved by faith, and we will not give these people the burden of trying to keep the law. That's the same James we're talking about. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote this book, is at the Council of Jerusalem, one of the people leading it up, saying, no, we, we do not have to force these people to keep the law. So when we look at the direct context in, in James chapter 2 and in the book of James in general, we see obviously he's not telling us that we're saved by works. When we zoom out and we look at the life of James, we have all of this evidence. We have all of these examples and scenarios where we see that James himself 
is not a proponent of salvation by works. He's a proponent of salvation by faith alone, and that's why he's an inspired writer in Scripture. That's why he is held in such high esteem by the Apostle Paul and others. And that's why we can look at this book, and instead of misunderstanding it and just continuing to try try to work for something we can't earn, we can look at this book, and we can look at James chapter 2, verse 24 specifically, and we can see that James is giving us a warning. He's saying, look in the mirror and examine yourselves. Be sure that you know Jesus Christ. Be sure that your salvation is demonstrated by the things you do and by the ways you've been changed, because faith without works is dead. Faith that is not an action is not faith at all. It is dead faith, and Christ does not accept dead faith because dead faith is not genuine faith. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ and truly trusting him and truly loving him because he loved us first. Well, if you have any questions, send us an email at information at apologetics.org. That's information at apologetics.org. We thank you for listening. We'll see you back here next week on The Universe Next Door.